I want to just open my message today uh, by sharing an episode from my own history. Uh, in one of my very first professional jobs, uh, way back in 1990, uh, I uh, was part of a kind of competition. This lady on the floor where I, of the office where I'd started working organized this fundraising competition, and it was a pound to enter the competition. And what you had to do was you had to submit a photograph of yourself from when you were very young. Uh, and once everyone had put their photos in, uh, then you had to guess who everyone was. There was a small prize for the person who had the most correct guesses, and all the money went to charity. So around 20 of us gave this lady our baby photographs, and then she organized them on a board for us uh, so that we could try and guess who was who. Now, there was a bit of a twist when the competition board went up, however, because there were three more photos than people who had entered. So I took a wild but correct guess that this lady had entered uh, photos of her three kids as well as herself. And so I submitted my entries to include the names of her children. So the time came to announce the winners and we all stood uh, in a group around the board. Uh, and then the lady opened by saying, uh, even though Nick supposedly got the most right, first prize is actually going to someone else because Nick cheated. There was this really awkward silence and then someone else said, well, how did Nick cheat? And this lady then said, well, his desk is nearest to the competition board, so he must have been listening in. How else would he know that I had entered photos of my own kids? And at this point, I protested, and I said I'd just guessed, but she wasn't having any of it. And so another person won the first prize, and I had to accept an unfair second place. I think that every single one of us has been through a variation on such an episode, one way or another, many, many times in our lives, where things have just been outright unfair. They range from the trivial, and they're not really mattering that much in the big scale of things, like my photo competition, all the way up to the potentially really serious or deeply unfair circumstances that may have had or may have far-reaching consequences for us. You know, we only have to look in a newspaper or read in a news website pretty much any day of the week to find that stories of unfairness and injustice come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and degrees of impact. Uh, you know, people trafficking in the West Midlands, uh, attacks on democratic freedom in Hong Kong, or using algorithms to generate exam results all reveal the world to be in desperate need of justice. Uh, just briefly on exam results, uh, while I'm on it, last Thursday it was A-level results, and this coming Thursday it's GCSEs. And to be honest, there really does seem to have been some major mess-ups with the accuracy of some of these results, affecting lots of pupils' futures. And I think we, we really need to be praying this week that all our kids across our nation earn the results that reflect all their schoolwork properly, and that any appeals that get made do provide fair adjustments to results where necessary. Let's be praying that church together this week for all of our young people. So we're in a, a summer series called Theos. Theos is the Greek word for God, and this is a teaching series in which we're exploring major aspects of God's character. And today's message is called God of Justice. God of Justice. The film with the highest overall rating of all time of all the films listed on the Internet Movie Database, IMDb, with a rating of 9.2 out of 10 from 2.7 million votes is a film called The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, 
The story told in the film is one of brutal unfairness towards a man called Andy Dufresne, an innocent man wrongfully imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. And in addition to the travesty of justice from his wrong sentence, there are also some appallingly wicked things that happen to him and to others in the prison to which he is sent. Despite being so painful and so gritty to watch, I believe the film has this huge appeal because in the end, a form of justice comes largely through the immense skill and careful planning by Dufresne himself, who manages a daring but successful escape, and, and he manages to restart his life. And something stirs very deep in human hearts when justice is seen to come about. And I believe that that stirring is even deeper and even stronger in God's heart. God is a God of justice, and he has hardwired people to know what fairness looks like and feels like. I'd like to share three key ideas about God as the God of justice this morning, and they'll come up on your screens uh, for you, and they should also be in your outline notes. If you're following us using the YouVersion Bible app, uh, we sent the link for that earlier this morning. So number one, when it comes to justice, God is the perfect judge. Human justice systems are an imperfect reflection of the pure and perfect justice of God in his heavenly kingdom. In a human court case, if you think about it, the judge and the jury aim to get to as close to the facts and the motivations as they possibly can in order that justice can be administered as fairly as possible. But in those cases of, you know, in human courtrooms that get heard by a judge and a jury, they have limited and imperfect ability to discern the real truth. Eyewitnesses can report what they thought they saw, but they don't always have total recall, or they can present things from a certain viewpoint or an agenda. Things like a bias or a corruption can enter the proceedings. Sometimes witnesses can leave things unsaid or hidden or outright perjure themselves. Perjury is when you lie in court. Sometimes somebody gets wrongly convicted. Uh, as in the case of the Shawshank Redemption. There's even a parable in the Gospels called the unjust judge that acknowledges that human systems of justice are flawed uh, in Luke 18. But if God is everywhere and all-knowing, and we know he is, then he has every fact in every case at his fingertips. Not only does God see all the actions, but he also understands the true heart motivations that led to those actions in the first place. And being a comprehensive eyewitness to every event and having access to the inner thought processes of people's minds and hearts ideally positions God to be a perfect judge and to assign perfect justice. We know that God has access to our inner motivations from the way that Jesus was able to discern what people were thinking uh, through the Spirit without them saying anything. Do you remember that story in Mark chapter 2 uh, where the, the guy gets lowered through the roof? Well, Jesus knows the teachers of the law were being critical of him in their thoughts as he healed the paralytic, paralytic man who got lowered down through the roof. God is the perfect eyewitness for every event. God has a full grasp on every person's motivation. God has 100% perfect recall. But in addition to these amazing truths, God is also unable to overpunish or underpunish. And that means that his justice, in his justice, his sentencing perfectly fits each crime. You know, the Old Testament law concept of an eye for an eye, which people who don't know God sometimes attack, actually it's objectively fair because the punishment matches the crime no more, no less. And alongside this, God has been really clear about what he thinks is unfair and, uh, fair and unfair, and he communicates his laws really clearly. In Exodus 21 to 17, God famously spells out 10 commandments for moral living uh, that give us a backbone for what he thinks is just and right. 
And if people followed these, communication, uh, these commandments, uh, everyone would be able to live freely and reach their full character potential before God. I believe that. David uh, devoted 176 verses of Psalm 119 to all the goodness and blessing in God's perfect law because as a king, he could directly see how much good law blessed a nation. For there to be good government, there needs to be clear laws. For there also needs to be a mechanism for righteous justice. You know, justice is the process for making things right again if law has been broken, and it provides a redress to rebalance things. Uh, you may not know this, but the Central Criminal Court uh, building in the UK is called the Old Bailey. And on top of the Old Bailey, there's a gold statue of a woman holding a sword in one hand to represent punishment, and scales in the other hand to represent balance. And the scales are there showing that justice aims to restore balance after a wrong has been committed by weighing up everything fairly. So number one, when it comes to justice, God is the perfect judge. Number two, God balances justice with mercy and grace. I know of someone um, who had to go to court in his early 20s for causing uh, grievous bodily harm in a fight. Now, the gap between the fight and the court case was a few months, and in that space of time, he actually became a follower of Jesus. And he prayed that God would take into account how sorry he was for the damage he'd caused in the fight. And he turned up to court on the day of the hearing, fully ready to receive uh, the full consequences of the law for what he had done, but also really hopeful uh, that God had heard his prayers and that the sentence would not be excessive. Now, for some inexplicable reason, the victim didn't turn up. Uh, and the judge had to rule no trial. And this guy got off with no sentence. And this person saw this as God's hand and intervention in his life, and he committed from that point forward, before God, never to use his fists again to solve disputes. Uh, disputes. And he's, com he's kept that commitment to this day. Now, justice somehow needs to be served between God and people in a way that balances the need for justice as well as God's mercy and his grace, which are two uh, subjects we've looked at in previous weeks in the Theos series. Now, it is impossible for God's holiness to have any blemish on it or near it, and yet it's his own children that he's created that are continually doing wrong things. So we have a problem, and New York pastor Timothy Keller puts this problem really well like this. He says, our sin is so serious that God cannot even look at us, and yet God's love for us is so strong that he cannot look away. So the way that God balances justice, mercy, and grace can all be explained like a court case in which we ourselves have to go along and face some really serious charges. And when we get there, we find that the judge is none other than our own loving father, whom we know loves us really greatly. And so at first, we're like really relieved because he, we know he's, the judge is for us and not against us. We know that. And then... We can't quite believe it because the judge still hands down a stiff sentence that is fair to the crimes that are committed, but we were really hoping that he, would, might, he might let us off from it or find a way out or, or reduce it in some way. And just as we're coming to terms with the pain and the surprise of the sentence that he's still given, we suddenly notice that our older brother is there in court too. And he stands up and he offers to take the punishment himself so that justice is served on our behalf. The judge nods and accepts the offer of the older brother, and the sentence that should have been ours becomes his. And in this illustration, God is the judge and the father. The older brother is Jesus, who stands up and offers to take our punishment on his shoulders by volunteering to go to the cross in our place. 
And we are let off and we go free. We are reconciled with God, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Justice is served because the sentence is passed accurately on the guilty person. Mercy is shown because the guilty party didn't get what they deserved. Grace is offered because someone stands up and volunteers to take our place. Remember what Pastor Mark said about justice, mercy, and grace in previous weeks. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something extra that you never thought of that you don't deserve. So this courtroom illustration is how fairness is reestablished between people and a holy God. The theologians call all of this uh, justification, that we are made just or right before God as heavenly judge, because justice is fully served against our wrongdoing when we receive that freely offered uh, kind of present of grace from Jesus to stand in our place. I'd put it to you that God's means of wrapping together justice and mercy and grace is to send us his son, the person of Jesus, to take whatever sentencing we are due on our behalf. And why wouldn't anyone want that? Why would you not want that? Put an amen on our live stream feeds if you agree with that. Number one, when it comes to justice, God is the perfect judge. Number two, God balances justice with mercy and grace. And thirdly and lastly, God takes a long-term view of justice. One of the more difficult aspects of the justice of God is undoubtedly around the timing. You know, the reality is we don't always see or feel the the recompense from from his justice in our lives. And there are catalogues of injustices from the history of the world that are very hard to explain in the light of the perfect justice of God unless we know that God's justice stands beyond and outside time. Jesus teaches this curious parable about how the timing of justice works in God's kingdom in a parable called the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13. And I'll just read it out. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat uh, and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? When, where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And later down that same chapter, Jesus brings an explanation to his disciples. Further on in verses 37 to 40, he uh, he says this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, that's Jesus. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom uh, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine in the sun uh, like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. You know, this teaching on the kingdom of heaven clearly shows that people of the kingdom of God are obliged to grow up and live alongside evil and wicked people and events. And the parable shows that roots of both kinds of people are intertwined during this life. 
And that can mean bad stuff can happen to good people in unjust and unfair ways. But what the parable also teaches is that there will come a time when this all gets fully resolved. God sorts out all injustices in the long run. God sorts out all injustices in the long run. Receive that church. We must take a long-term perspective on the justice of God, as Jesus clearly teaches in the parable of the weeds. So number one, when it comes to justice, God is the perfect judge. Number two, God balances justice with mercy and grace. And number three, God takes a long-term view of justice, and sometimes so must we. I'm just going to ask our worship team to return to the platform, and I'm going to suggest a way in which we can respond to today's message. All of us, without exception, have had deeply unfair or unjust things happen to us, sometimes because of other people, sometimes through some kind of weird setback, uh, sometimes through a chance misfortune, or sometimes because of evil in the world or the brokenness of creation. Here is what we need to do, and it's not going to be easy. I'm not giving you an easy message today. This is what we need to do. Give that injustice which happened to you over to the God of justice. It's one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life. You'll know what it is. It will be something that makes you feel twisted up inside when you think about it. You'll have told yourself countless times, if only that hadn't happened. Well, I'm speaking to you directly this morning. Give the injustice which happened to you over to the God of justice. The Lord's shown me that this message is going to hit some of you in your emotions really hard today. And I'm really sorry it's so painful. But you need to give that injustice over to God, to the God of justice. Yes, it was hugely unfair. But yes, the Lord knows too. And he sees your pain and he gets it. But he needs it from you fully. You can't hold on to it anymore. Give it to him. I opened my message today with a story uh, about a trivial in instance of an injustice, and, and I did survive, you know, not being the winner of the photo competition. That's a very small thing. But I'd like to close with a, a brief story that, for me, carried a bit more impact, just to illustrate how God as the God of justice is able to balance justice, mercy, and grace. Uh, in my last church, there was a lady there who developed a very big grievance with me, and I'm going to call her Angry Woman, okay? I can't get into all the details because I believe that she's got that opportunity, just like all of us have, to come back from a difficult place. But at the time, this woman was really deeply aggrieved with me and how she perceived the church had treated her. And I just want to say, she wasn't even an attender. She didn't come to the church. She wasn't, I don't think, even a believer in the Lord Jesus. But she felt, rightly or wrongly, that I and the church had wronged her, and she saw me as the person who represented the decisions she disagreed with so strongly. And as pastors... You know, we do occasionally get headbutted by the sheep in the flock. It happens, okay? I'd love to say it never hurts, but sometimes it does. Angry woman was so angry with me that if she saw me locally in the street, she would literally turn her back on me. And I didn't mind so much that for myself, but she would do, she would do it in front of me when I had my kids with me. Like if I pulled up at a junction in my car and she saw me in the car, she'd turn away. She was really angry with me for such a long time, and she made sure people knew how displeased she was. And this went on for two years. And my flesh really wanted to have it out with her and her husband. You know, I wanted to drive around there and say a few strong words. And the temptation to do that was really strong at times. But at the back of my mind was always this idea that if I could be prepared to give this injustice fully up to God, 
how she was treating my children particularly, he would handle it in his time. I did say to God, uh, you know, can this not be a wheat and a weeds thing? Can it be, you know, not sorted out at the end of the age, please? Can you sort it sooner? <laughs> Romans 12, 18, 19 actually gave me some really great strength in this matter at this time. If it's possible, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. So I gave the injustice of our angry woman up to, up to God. And I, just as I'm asking all of us to do today with whether injustice have hurt you. I also want to introduce another character into the story. Uh, someone whom I will name Delighted Woman. Now, Delighted Woman lived opposite us and she just loved me and Chloe and the boys. Uh, she never wasted any opportunity to sing our praises around the place. She was a great lady, uh, one of our biggest fans. And, and around two years into Angry Woman's campaign of dislike, George, my, my eldest son George and I were in town on an errand and we were halfway along this pathway, uh, a long walkway in the middle of town where there were no exits to left or right for around 100 yards or so. And coming towards us in the distance uh, with no way of escaping was Angry Woman walking along with Delighted Woman. Delighted Woman paused by us and delightedly explained, as she was very fond of doing, how wonderful we were to Angry Woman. And Angry Woman was obliged to stand and listen to her friend give all sorts of glowing compliments about us. And I was very composed on the, service, but in, uh, on the surface, but inside I was kind of yelling out to God, how did you do that? You made Angry Woman pause and listen to some compliments about me. She wasn't able to turn her back on me and that's all I needed. In a small but a beautifully orchestrated way, it was literally a perfect balance of justice, mercy and grace. Right in front of me, organized on my behalf by the Lord because I had genuinely given up my injustice to him. Whether or not the Lord does this for you during your lifetime, I'm asking you today, today, give the injustice which happened to you over to the God of justice. Let's pray and we're going to worship. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a God of justice. I thank you that you understand and know our heart motivations and you can see all the facts and in the fullness of time you will bring about your perfect justice, balanced with your perfect mercy and your perfect grace. We thank you for what you've done for us with your son Jesus that allows us to be let off from the things we've done wrong if we receive him. Thank you so much, Lord God. Amen. Let's worship. Thank you.